Well, we're wrapping up the eighth chapter of Romans today. And the lesson is from the the 31st through the 39th verse of that chapter. Hear these words. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or peril or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I was in New Orleans um, serving at a Methodist church on the West Bank and going to seminary on the East Bank of New Orleans, so I spent a lot of my time crossing the Mississippi River on the, it was the G&O back then, it was just one bridge, and that one bridge was, you just knew there were times to stay away from the bridge, do not try to cross the river, just stay away. And um, I got to watch some interesting things go on driving back and forth between the seminary and my church. One of the things was uh, the World's Fair being built and the gondola system going in. Got to watch all that being built. And you got to watch a lot of things being built because you were going at a snail's pace across the river. The other thing that was interesting to watch was the other bridge rise up. Uh, the second bridge was built while I was there, and there was um, a caisson and the um, um, supports in the Mississippi, and then they built the other supports on the West Bank. And I just knew the way they built it, they started at the end and they met in the middle. That when they put that middle piece, that steel girder in, some engineer was in his or her office saying, oh, thank God I measured right and it all hooks up. Uh, it was just, it was fun to watch all that go up. And after the sermon, I, I and I'd forgotten about this because when you live in that part of New Orleans or that part of Louisiana, I mean, there's the Pontchartrain, um, there's the causeway. So that's a 24-mile bridge, you don't think anything getting on the causeway and driving across. There's one place at the causeway where you can't see either shoreline. You know it's there. It's an act of faith. There are other bridges. The I-10 bridge in Lake Charles is just a horrendous up-and-down bridge. 
And I've forgotten how many people were actually afraid of bridges until people came out of the service saying, I'm just terrified. See, I've got a bridge terrified person. So, you know, bridges fascinate us. They terrify us. Um, they're a marvel of engineering. Wednesday, I was at the, the Kiwanis meeting here at the church, and um, there was discussion in the room. Some political official from back behind me said, well, DOTD is planning to, um, in the next year, to resurface and repair the overpass, the Cooktown overpass. And you could hear there was great rejoicing in the room. Uh, there was the sound of disbelief. But there's, Yay! And I'm thinking, oh, thank God, because one day I'm going to fall through one of those holes just... <laughs> Straight through. Bridges are a metaphor for salvation. There is a holy God, holy, 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 perfect, omniscient, omnipotent, holy God. And on the other side of the chasm, the Genesis 3 people. You remember Genesis 3? God stuck Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, okay, gang, we've got two trees here. We've got more than that. We've got every fruit tree you can imagine. You can eat of all the trees in the garden. You can even eat of the tree of the fruit of life if you want to. But there's this middle tree. It's the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Stay away from the tree. Don't go near, the, don't touch that tree. And just like little two-year-olds, Adam and Eve, da -da 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 -da, straight to the tree, took the fruit, boom, chomped down on it. We all know, we all know the fruit was a peach. I can explain to you how it became an apple, but that's a boring Latin lesson. And we're told that in the cool of the evening, God is walking in the garden and he can't find Adam and Eve. Adam, Eve, where are you? And eventually they chirp up, we're, we're hiding over here because we're naked and afraid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit I told you not to eat of? And they begin the great three stooges routine, you know, that Moe would slap Larry, Larry slapped Curly, and Curly had nobody to hit. Well, um, Adam says, the woman you gave me, she made me eat. Eve said, it's not my fault, the snake that was roaming around, he beguiled me and I ate. And God listens to their excuse and basically meets out their punishment, and then throws them out of the garden so they can't get to the tree of life. Sinful Genesis 3 humanity and a holy God. And there's this big gulf in between, this chasm that has to be breached. How do you do it? I've got an idea. Let's be good.
Let's just be good. We got the holy God over here. He's a good God. He's a holy God. If we'll just be good, that that chasm will be breached, right? Okay. What's your definition of good? Who has defined good for you? How do you measure good? And is it good for just 15 minutes or is it good a whole lifetime? Believe it or not, I buried a few Methodists in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm circling up on about 800 funerals. And there's this group of Methodists that I buried that the family will come in my office and they'll sit down and, you know, they'll dry their tears and, and they'll talk about poor old Uncle Frank. Uncle Frank was such a good Methodist. And I can't resist because I'm doing the attendance chart and I can't picture Uncle Frank in my head. And I'll say, well, tell me about Uncle Frank's faith journey. Because I already know that Uncle Frank was baptized and confirmed, but after that he didn't go to church except on Christmas and Easter. And they get this sheepish look on their face and they'll say, he was a good Methodist. A good Methodist. Well, tell me about his faith. He was a good Methodist. What does that mean? He was a good Methodist. Who defined good for Uncle Frank? It wasn't God's word, because he probably hadn't been exposed to a lot of a lot of it in his life. Who defined good for Uncle Frank? Humanity tried that. We will impress God with our goodness. Didn't work. God gave the Hebrews the Ten Commandments. They went into the promised land and immediately forgot all of them because we're told that the second they got in the promised land, they pretty much did what they did. each one decided they wanted to do. Okay, so, so being good doesn't work. Let's do religious things. Surely God will be impressed with religious things. Which ones? Which religious things are you going to do to bridge that chasm? I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to Sunday school. Those are two not necessarily religious things. They're good things. I'm going to have a Bible study and a prayer group. Hmm? Two, two more pretty good things. They're not necessarily religious things. I'm going to go to church every time the doors are open. I'm always going to be there. I grew up in a church like that. and Look how I turned out. It's not necessarily a good thing. The Hebrews ask, what will you be pleased with, God? Will you be pleased with the sacrifice of 10,000 rams? Will that make you happy? And God has said, he's shown you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require? But to do justice, walk, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God, would you please specify I need some specificity because I'm trying to bridge this chasm between Genesis 3 
as Paul will say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and this holy God. And we can't do it. We can't fix the breach. We can't plug the gap. We cannot span the gap. Paul says there's only one mediator, and it's Christ Jesus. Our only hope is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. Jesus has bridged that gap. Jesus has made a way for you and I as Genesis 3 people to return to our status as children of God. His work on the cross Span the breach. There are two responses the church needs to have to this. The first is we need to tell the world our good news. That bridge, that gap has been closed. It's been closed by the person of Jesus Christ. You don't necessarily have to do good things, religious things, go to church things. You don't have to do a list of all this other stuff because Jesus has done it all. All that you need for salvation has been done in the sacrifice, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's no secret. There are no secret rituals you have to do. Paul says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no fine print. There are no secret codicils in that. It's pretty simple. It's just Jesus. Just Jesus. Is that Methodist Jesus, Presbyterian Jesus, or Episcopal Jesus? It's just Jesus. The gap has been spanned. And so what we need to do as the church and what we've got to start doing again is telling our story about how we relate to Jesus. You and I, that's called evangelism. It's telling your story. It's not giving them a pamphlet. It's not the four spiritual laws. It's not campus through crusade for Christ. It's not evangelism explosion. It's not all the nonsense that people do. It's saying, I was a Genesis 3 person till I met Jesus. And I found out his love and grace was enough for me. And here here is how Christ has transformed and changed my life. For you philosophical apologists in the room, nobody can argue with that. That's called subjective knowledge. You can't argue with what Jesus has done in your heart. You can't argue with what Jesus has done in my heart because I'm just telling you my story. So we need to be about telling our stories to our friends and neighbors. Don't hand them a pamphlet. Don't hand them a study Bible. Don't, don't, don't. Just sit down with a cup of coffee and say, hey, how's it going in your life? Have a conversation. How hard is that to have a conversation? We need to tell our story, the story of God's 
bridging the gap in our life, of spanning that gap. And then as the church, we need to keep moving. If if you'll let me continue my analogy of a bridge, and salvation is the bridge, and the way we Methodists talk about it, continuing on the bridge, driving on the bridge is what we call sanctification. It's growing in grace. It's allowing God to make us holy every day. It's spending time in the presence of God to transform us. So, seminaries on the east bank of New Orleans do not do the compass. When you talk about the east bank and the west bank of New Orleans, you'll be confused forever because one's not east and one's not west. And the churches I was serving were both on the the west bank. And when there was just one bridge across the Mississippi River downtown, four lanes of traffic... I was coming back one night, going back to the seminary from the West Bank, and I got up the bridge. I was almost to the steel superstructure. I was ascending in my 1971 Volkswagen Beetle. Had no air conditioning. You should try having a Volkswagen Beetle in New Orleans in the summertime. You got it moving fast. You got air conditioning. Get up nearly to the superstructure, and the traffic dead stop. We're just sitting there. And I weirdly, the other lane of traffic going the other two lanes, going the other way toward the West Bank, they're stopped too. So you've got all this traffic suddenly stopped at the West Bank side of the Greater New Orleans Bridge. I'm thinking, it's 8 o'clock at night. There is, there is something going on. So I turned to my news source, WWL Radio. I'm listening. Turns out, on the West Bank of New Orleans, there was a housing project. It's been torn down now. It was the Fisher Housing Project, and part of the Fisher Housing Project, they had a 10-story tower in the middle of the housing project. I'm sitting there in my Volkswagen, dead stop, listening to WWL radio tell me that there was a sniper in the Fisher Housing Project tower shooting at cars on the Mississippi River Bridge. And what have the police done? They've stopped us to make it easier to hit us. All kinds of things went through my mind. But all I wanted was to start moving again. I was going to serpentine. I had it figured out. I think he got me and something leaked out and that's what happened to my brain. Keep moving. On the journey of faith, keep moving. Don't stop. Keep developing the relationship you have with God. Keep trusting. Realize you are a child of God. That you're walking around in God's shoes. You realize that God is working God is working the whole of your life toward good. 
And Paul explains this in the last part of that eighth chapter. You know, Mother Teresa had a business card, and on the business card, it had these words, the fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of love, the fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. And the fruit of service is peace. Silence leads to prayer, which leads to faith, which leads to love, which leads to service, which leads to peace. Keep traveling and keep journeying the journey of salvation. And Paul says it to the church at Rome. He says, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And then he says, no. But the inference of that verse is the church at Rome is suffering these things, that the Roman army has turned on the Christians by this time, and they're experiencing hardship and distress and persecution. They're, they're experiencing an empire withholding food. They're experiencing peril and sword. Bad things are happening to them. And Paul said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. The Greek word is hupornikomen. Hupornikomen. Thank you very much. The middle of the word is the word Nike. N-I-K-E. Yes, it's the tennis shoe brand. It's also the Greek word for victory. Paul said... The, the phrase that's translated, the one word that is translated more than conquerors, you can just say it like this, is hypernike. Hypernike. I would look good in some hypernikes. Your God shoes are hypernikes. That no matter what you're facing, as you're journeying through life, as you are walking across that bridge that has been put there by Jesus Christ, that bridge that brings you back to God, that you're more than a conqueror, that nothing, not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, not things present, not things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how strong that bridge has been built. That's why we come to the communion table to be reminded of one simple Deep truth. God built a bridge out of two boards and three nails. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.